episode is supported by Proton. Proton is the world's largest secure email provider with over 1 million users. The company is headquartered in Switzerland, and this allows users to take advantage of the world's strictest privacy laws. You can check them out at protonmail.com or protonvpn.com. Both links will be added to the show notes of this episode. Thank you for listening to Data Science at Home podcast with Francesco Gadaletta. You are about to get cutting edge insights from the people who are reshaping the world of technology with machine learning, data science, and artificial intelligence. It's time for Data Science at Home. Welcome to the show. Welcome back to another episode of Data Science at Home podcast. I'm Francesco podcasting from the regular office of Leuven in Belgium. I hope that everyone is safe and healthy in this period. I know how dangerous going out in the street is, but still, I hope that everyone is still confined and respecting the rules. This is an emergency, and uh, of course, I hope that uh, we are over it as soon as possible. But in the meantime, stay at home and uh, follow the regulations of your country. It's very important for everyone, for yourself, for your neighbors, for your family, and so to stay healthy and not to spread this virus. Of course, thanks for tuning in and uh, for the numerous messages that I receive via email or via the uh, website datascienceatome.com. I'm really glad to have uh, uh, amazing comments and uh, that keep me improving and uh, keep improving the show and uh, also suggesting some of the most interesting topics in uh, machine learning and data science. Uh, of course, we started, we recently started a channel on uh, Slack in order to give access to a bigger community and facilitate the access to uh, these channels and uh, and the chatting systems. So I'm really hoping to see you there. Uh, the coordinates of the new Slack channel will be communicated uh, in the show notes of this episode. So keep coming and keep asking, keep proposing the episodes that you would like to listen in the near future. And of course, comment the one uh, you have been listening to. In uh, this episode, I'm going to speak about COVID-19, but from a data-related perspective. I know that you probably have been overwhelmed by news about COVID-19, and uh, uh, most of the time these are not great news at all. But uh, in uh, this episode, I would like to uh, kind of uh, spread so-called awareness about what's going on in the world of data uh, related to COVID-19. And uh, I believe there is something that is worth paying attention to because this is not something that is going to leave us when the state of emergency is over. This, unfortunately, is something that is going to stay here for a long time. And what is this bad thing that we uh, we will be discussing in this episode? Well, definitely the data collection techniques that are being used today in order to contain and isolate, of course, infected individuals. So let me give you some context. Uh, what's going on now is that while governments uh, are taking data from hospitals and, uh, of course, healthcare experts, um, but also telco companies uh, who are providing this data to governments in order to contain the uh, infection of uh, of individuals who have been indeed in contact with other individuals, family and friends, and uh, other folks out in the street. And so the idea, and in fact the goal of this um, data collection, massive data collection technique, is to uh, trace people and uh, isolate them whenever possible. 
Isolate, of course, means in a good way, of course, because you know the objective is to contain the virus as fast as we can and in the most effective ways. So this is amazing because the tools and the techniques that we have today are much more evolved and much more powerful than what we probably didn't have at the time of Ebola and other pandemics. So it's a good thing to see machine learning, data science, and also data collection techniques in action at the service of humanity. So that's a good thing. What is not good, however, is the number of... Uh, data abuse that you might think of and eventually will happen if they're not happening already. Uh, we have seen this happening with uh, you know social media platforms, the scope of which was of course to put people in communication with each other but also analyze their data for other purposes. So we have seen this and kind of accepted this um, because, you know, we believe that if that's the price we have to pay to have a service that allows me to send a picture or poke one of my friends in my list, well, okay, then I'm going to uh, exchange my privacy and my confidentiality for, for that poke. That's fine. I mean, that everybody has his own opinions and principles about the way their information is shared or used or abused. But in this case, I see the the danger is even higher because there are governments involved. And uh, if you can decide by yourself, you know, to be or not to be on Facebook or Twitter or other social media channels, um, in this case, there could be an enforcement by a government, by an institution that might pretty much say, if you want to go back to the streets, you need to install this application. And if one of the police officers find you in the street without the application on, I'm, you're going to be charged or put in jail. Or, I don't know, I'm just exaggerating here. But you know what I mean? Like when there is law enforcement uh, and enforcement into using some digital tools, um, you know, the situation changes completely from being, from saying, uh, I'm, I'm on Facebook, I'm on Twitter, and uh, I'm free to be there or just shut down my account. So what's happening is, uh, in fact, governments are relying on hospitals and healthcare experts to retrieve this you know, virus information and formulate guidelines, and then these guidelines get communicated to the, uh, to the citizens. And um, there is one particular technique that is being used, and in fact, it's nothing new, it's called geofencing, that was used for, is currently used to trace vehicles and, of course, devices, and is being applied to human beings. And so what is geofencing technique doing? Well, it's a, it's a very simple concept. It um, sets a perimeter around the citizen's home um, and then start tracking that perimeter or start tracking that individual, that mobile device or that individual by observing if the mobile goes out of the perimeter. Now, this is something that is relatively easy to, uh, to detect and to calculate because the perimeter, for example, the house of, a, of an individual is very easy to, to infer. You can just observe the, from a table of records provided by a telco company you can pretty much see that that mobile device is sleeping for approximately nine or ten hours in the same place. And so you can pretty much infer that that place, that GPS coordinates, is eventually the house of the owner of that device. Now, this is fine. I mean, in the sense that if you 
for the sake of containing the virus, what you would do is uh, tracing these people, tracing these mobile devices one by one and uh, see if they get out of their perimeter. But in fact, what you can obtain by observing these you know, uh, movements and these millions and millions of perimeters is a very nice picture that is the population of that particular geographic area. And uh, you would see these nodes in the graph moving in almost real time uh, and see how they interact, how they connect to each other, how they get off and on their perimeters or in other perimeters. And you can see how these masses, uh, in fact, dynamically move and behave in a particular geographic area that you are targeting. So, uh, of course, um, this is great if you want to use the data for containing the pandemic, but it's not so great if you start abusing this data. And there is a million ways to abuse this data. We have seen the, probably the most, um, the biggest social network in the world uh, has been teaching us this that since years, how, <laughs> how easy it is to abuse data of individuals who just want to poke friends or send a, a picture of their barbecue. Uh, but there is a ton of other signals that uh, these companies uh, own. At this point in time, I can say that they own and they abuse them on a daily basis for other purposes, which is not sending a picture to your neighbor about your barbecue, but it's something much more. For example, um, inferring your political beliefs or inferring your religious uh, beliefs and so on and so forth. So the misuse or the abuse of information is uh, even more um, tangible when it comes to pandemics um, due to the fact that, as I said, these techniques might be imposed by a government, by a local regulation or a law. And uh, there are two techniques that I would like to discuss in particular in this episode, which will be referred to as data attacks. Uh, that is the way uh, data that are assumed to be um, useful for a particular purpose can also be used for purposes that were not, you know, under the consent of the individual who's giving you this data. And so um, the tagging and the leaking are in fact these two you know, most common data attacks that you might think whenever you deal with uh, uh, geofencing data or GPS coordinates, even Bluetooth in, in, uh, in combination with other data sets, but uh, more on that uh, very, very soon. So what is tagging? Tagging is a, um, the, the process of um, indeed uh, set a tag, add a tag to a particular device just because some conditions are met. So, for example, if you have the GPS coordinate of a device moving in a targeted geographic area, what you would do is um, assigning special tags whenever this device gets close or in the proximity of a particular landmark that you have been observing. And so think about this landmark as, for example, a mosque. Um, and you, you will definitely see that if a device is getting in the proximity of a mosque at a particular time of the day, and there is also a correlation with other devices moving in the same location at the same hour of the day uh, or day of the week, 
Um, and then you would observe another landmark, which is probably, I'm just making it up here, of course, but uh, uh, a, a market where they sell halal meat. Uh, and you see that the same device is also approaching this other landmark, another uh, hour of the day. You know, I'm going by stereotypes, of course, but you would definitely understand that device is, uh, you know, belongs to a Muslim, very likely. Now, of course, there's nothing bad in being a Muslim, but uh, there are some Muslims who don't want to be traced, as simple as that. And so with uh, the GPS coordinate, you can understand how easy it would be to, in fact, infer some other characteristics of that device, hence of that person. Now, if you apply this to um, religious beliefs, you can get Muslim, Christians, Buddhists, etc. But you can also, you know, move the to the another extreme of tracing, for example, homosexuals or or just minority groups. Now, this is you know this is real, and so this is something that I uh, that that's why I would like to speak about this because uh, data is as powerful as the purpose you use them for. So raw data, we know that are just rubbish. But when you start putting these things together, and you have an objective, um, this objective can usually be achieved by collecting a, a relatively small amount of data for any particular individual. And uh, COVID-19 is giving us a great chances to collect orders of magnitude more data than we need. Another data attack is leaking. And uh, this is something I would really talk about because it's even more subtle than, uh, than tagging. So tagging is explicit. You get close to a place, to a landmark, and you get tagged. If you reach a sufficient number of tags, there you go. You become a person of interest or a device of interest, whatever it is. Leaking, however, is more subtle because it assumes and it keeps working on anonymized data. So what is anonymized data? Anonymized data are data that by manual intervention have been masked, obfuscated, stripped of some fields that are supposedly containing uh, what, what's it called PII or uh, personally identifiable information. Now, this PII is something that you literally have someone, an engineer, a data scientist, a, a data expert, so to speak, who decides that that particular field in that record contains personal identifiable information. For example, a name, a family name, an address, a credit card number, whatever. And what he does, what he or she does, is masking this, tokenizing this field, or just stripping it away. Many times they are tokenized, uh, in even in a deterministic fashion. And so what happens is that you have anonymized data. And so you would you would think like, okay, I'm safe. I cannot be identified anymore, which is right as long as you stay on that data set. But if you start integrating that data set with some other things, for example, public data, GPS coordinates, or the coordinates of your friends or the people you interact with, as soon as you do that, you understand that that anonymous record can be re-identified. Not only that, when you think that there are a couple of fields or, or a dozen fields that contain personal identifiable information and they get stripped, they get masked, they get obfuscated, you think it's fine, but probably there are hundred more fields that individually do not contain personal identifiable information, but altogether they do. 
And so that's why uh, we call it leaking through linking, because, you know, it's something that allows you to uh, consider how can I link different data sources or, or different fields in the same data source in order to reconstruct a signal that I might have obfuscated in the first place. And so this is a, a real data attack. We have seen this happening in healthcare. We have seen this happening in social media, advertising. Um, you know, we have seen this happening across domains for sure. So we have to pay a lot of attention to the amount of data that we are collecting. And, uh, and if this data is not an overshoot with respect to the goal or the problem that we want to solve. What I'm seeing now, especially from the news and from what I read around is uh, that there is uh, a, an excessive amount of data that is collected for uh, solving a problem that can be solved with much less data than we have. And so this is something that I'm, uh, I'm really afraid of. Another thing I'm super afraid of is that the machine that we are building, uh, this system of data collection, these algorithms of uh, uh, building graphs and building uh, communities and individuals and tra tracing in how individuals move in a particular targeted geographic area, um, these are things that are, are, are here to stay even after COVID-19 pandemics is over. And, uh, and probably there's going to be another wave of, of COVID-19. Uh, I hope not, of course, but they might say, yes, but we have to prepare to the next wave. Or I've heard, uh, yes, but this is not the last pandemic we're going to face in the next 10 years. I hope they are wrong, of course, but uh, yes, uh, it's true. They, there can be another pandemic, so we have to be ready. But that doesn't mean that we have to forget about the rights of individuals and uh, the privacy concerns we have been fighting for years and years um, just behind the dress of the pandemics. When it comes to anonymization techniques, I'm also very much afraid that uh, uh, these are techniques that people are they keep accepting them as a silver bullet of uh, privacy and confidentiality. And this is also something that worries me because, you know, it's this misinformation and this uh, lack of understanding how important it is to, uh, you know, understand that obfuscation and anonymization techniques do not work all the time. Um, that's why we have been spending a chunk of our career in building what we are building at Primal, a uh, silver bullet synthetic data generator that maintains the utility of the data you want to analyze, but at the same time keeps it secure. And by secure means that it is impossible to reconstruct or identify the individual record from the synthetic version of your data. This is what we build at Primal.io, P-R-Y-M-L.io. I really I advise you to jump on that website and get in touch with us and uh, discuss with us some of the techniques that we are really interested in. Uh, but uh, regardless of Primal, it is very important that everyone understands how the current techniques are insufficient to guarantee privacy and confidentiality of the individuals. I hope that uh, in this episode we go home, or well, we stay home with much more awareness. 
and uh, of course do not hesitate to contact us on the slack channel you will find coordinates in the uh, show notes of this episode i'm uh, really glad you tuned in today and uh, i'm looking forward to talking to you on the chat or otherwise i'll talk to you next time datasciencesathome.com You've been listening to Data Science at Home Podcast. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, or Podbean to get new, fresh episodes. For more, please follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook, or visit our website at datascienceathome.com.